downstairs. Everyone else, have a seat. How are we doing? Everybody doing good? Hey, Rob and Shannon, well done, my friends. That's awesome. Let's keep it going. Let's keep moving it forward, um, blessing people in the name of Jesus. Um, I just could hear Rob and Shannon's story over and over and over again. It's the story of all of us, really. Uh, we don't think of it like that, but it is. It's a story of brokenness to wholeness and bondage to freedom continuing walk in the Lord. So it's great. Hey, if you're joining us online, welcome. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Last week I was giving props to um, the tech team for doing such a great job and really stepping up our game in the tech area. Unbeknownst to me, uh, the live stream was a train wreck last week. And they're actually, while I'm saying good job, everybody, it's like falling apart all behind the scenes last week. So some of the people watching online actually thought I was making fun of the tech team uh, because it was so bad at home. But no, good job, guys. You're doing great. One week does not a, you know, one bad mile doesn't make a marathon. So um, we're still pressing forward. Hopefully everything's going smooth today. I hate to even bring it up, but uh, we're doing great, right? Last sermon on uh, overcoming fear. Uh, I know we're not there yet. We're all in process here of overcoming fear. And I, I sometimes am reluctant to preach on a topic because when I start to preach on it, I seem to come under attack in that specific area. So uh, I've had my share over the last couple of months, but hey, I'm going to hang on to this, that God has not given me a spirit of fear. But what has he given us? Spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. We need to hang on to what we have that God has given us and to release what the devil is trying to bring at us. Release the fears and hang on to the power and love and a sound mind because we are all in this battle of fears, death, failure, rejection, losing control, the future, intimacy, which, by the way, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, today, we're going to talk about overcoming the fear of intimacy. Uh, let me just say this, too, as I jump into this, 
We've looked at all these fears, and this is just a partial list. You may have a specific thing you're battling with, and God will give you grace in the days ahead. God will give you wisdom uh, as you battle through. Do not ever quit battling. Do not ever become passive. Don't ever receive what the devil is standing at your door ready to give you. Instead, receive what God has already provided and keep battling for that. Somebody should say amen. Yeah, really. I mean, it's a battle, people. It's, it's a battle that will not end in this side of heaven. Um, if you're here today and you're not married or you're not in a romantic relationship, this sermon is for all of us. Don't tune out saying, oh, he's going to talk about intimacy and marriage because it's Valentine's Day. You'll see a little more that um, as we go along. It's really about relationships as a whole. But it is Valentine's Day. So I pulled up some bad Valentine stuff. Um, and let me tell you, it was like I laughed. You know, I got caught in this uh, vortex of bad Valentine stuff for hours. <laughs> the other day, you know, when you start looking for stuff, you're like, oh, this is all too good. So here's one that's really, I, I don't even know why. I can't even answer the why. But um, for Valentine's, nothing says I love you like affordable, reliable trash service. I think there's some other things that say I love you, the, even maybe a little higher than affordable, reliable trash. I'm not down in the trash service. I'm just saying I think there's some other things. Uh, first, let me, as I cue this next one, it's both funny and sad, this next slide. But I don't know who would go to Office Depot for Valentine's Day. I don't really see that as the destination. But if you do, they have some gifts for Valentine's Day. They have a, a comfort mouse uh, that you could get, and some file for divorce software if uh, you wanted to uh, pick that up for Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's sad, I know. Hey, let's say you want to propose, right, on Valentine's Day. Well, for $10, you can get an in-the-box Pizza Hut. Got the whole thing for 10 bucks to propose on Valentine's Day. Let me just say, ladies, if your guy takes you to... Takes you to Pizza Hut to propose for 10 bucks, he is not the one for you. I'm just going to say it out. By the way, if you read the fine line, they're advertising like fireworks, uh, a limo, and then you get down to the bottom, and it's actually the whole package that they're proposing is $10,010. I don't know why you'd go for the fireworks limo and a box of pizza, but the that's what they're, they're giving you. Also, let me just say, I love Cheetos as much as the next time, but, but the Cheetos Valentine mix is not something I'm really looking forward to uh, for Valentine's Day. I love Cheetos, but who would even think that was a, a great idea? Anyway, uh, this, this company, uh, it's more like a dollar store, and I know you can't see it, but it cracks me up. I can just read the whole list. On one side is things you should get for Valentine's, and on the other side is things you should not get. But you could still get them there if you needed them, like gas relief medication, hemorrhoid stuff. Uh, those are things you shouldn't get for your Valentine. They may need them, but you shouldn't get them for Valentine's Day. Um, by the way, this is totally inappropriate, but their condoms are on both sides of the list. 
Uh, which I found pretty funny. Uh, and even on the four side, it's like a 99-cent plant or something. So uh, it, it's a crack. If you want to see it later, I'll email it to you. And, hey, nothing says Valentine's like a heart-shaped steak, right? There you go. That's... All you need is love, Right? The problem is, for many of us, we are just, we're damaged. Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity is in its basic nature relational. It's about relationship. It's about relationship with God and relationship with one another. And those two things go together in Christianity. We, we're not in a religion to me. Religion is about practices and rituals. Christianity is about a relationship with the God who loves you and relationship with one another. Last week, I, uh, some people made fun of me on a number of levels last week. But last week, uh, I showed my, the new code of conduct uh, for my bed uh, being made. By the way, in case you're wondering if I've learned to make it like this, the answer is no, because I'm getting up at 5 a.m. Uh, every morning. I'm the first one out of bed. I, I'm not going to be the last one so that I don't have to make the bed. Because uh, remember, at our house, last one out makes it, and so I'm getting up first. So last week, um, Wendy Kuhn and Molly, I think, were in the nursery together. And in the nursery, they have a screen on the um, if you haven't been in the nursery to see the nursery, well, for, shame on you. Uh, you should be in the nursery. You should be helping. You should be serving. But if you're not, that's all right. Freedom. Uh, we're not legalistic. But anyway, there's a screen which is broadcasting the service, but there's no sound on the screen. They're just kind of keeping track of what's going on uh, in the whole service, right? So uh, Molly and Wendy are down there. They're looking, and all of a sudden, Wendy says to Molly, it's Kathy's bed. That's Kathy Brooklyn's bed. On the, what is he doing showing Kathy's bed? <laughs> well, first of all, it's also my bed, right? <laughs> Second of all, there aren't a handful of people on the earth who from a picture and no words could identify that as Kathy's bed, right? I mean, I told you, our bedroom is the deck. Well, that is the, that is the fruit of a relationship of 30 years. That's friendship. I think Wendy actually went and helped Kathy buy the bedding for this bed. Uh, but there just aren't people who know what our bedroom totally looks like, except someone who would be a close friend. Um, many of us, our lives are like houses. We don't let people in past the front door. We might let them in the foyer. If things are going well, they might be able to come and sit in the den with us and talk. A really close friend is someone who can go in the kitchen and sit at the table or make their way in the refrigerator. But we have very few intimate relationships. And I, I'm not using this in a sexual term, but the bedroom kind of relationship who really know you. Most of us are way guarded so that there are people in this room who will not let people pass the foyer of their lives. And if in its truth, 
Christianity is in its basic nature relational, then how do we love our neighbor as ourselves if we don't even know our neighbor? How do we know? How do we love the body of Christ? How do we get engaged with one another if there's a fear of intimacy that's keeping us from walking together? I want to talk about this today. And by the way, this is a combination of a number of different things I pulled from, including my own. Um, so not all this material is original, which is usually the case every week. But just letting you know that um, that's the case here. The first point I want you to, to do is to recognize the pain of broken relationships. To recognize the pain of broken relationships. Everyone in this room has some sort of wound from a relationship that got broken. Everyone. We are all in this room unscathed by the pain that comes from broken relationships. And for uh, some of us, it, it, it results in us saying, you can't, I can't trust people. I'm done with people. I, I can't get risk. I can't risk getting burned again. I just don't have the energy to put into it. And as a result of the pain, we're, we're, we're isolated in a, in a bubble of loneliness or a bubble of our own making where we only let one or two in. But we're, we're dealing with these pain of broken relationships. And I want to say this to you today. God sees you. God sees your brokenness. God sees the pain. I think Jesus had some broken relationships. I think God saw the pain of brokenness even in the garden that man had. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Don't, here's the first point, I think, is don't minimize the pain. Don't say it doesn't exist. Don't say I've never been hurt. If you've never been hurt, you've never risked um, Recognize the pain of broken relationships. In the, in the book of Job, you know, Job um, and Gabriel spoke on a couple of the same passages I'm speaking on today. He spoke on three or four weeks ago, different angle a little bit. But Job loses everything. He loses it all. And he's sitting out and he's got these friends that come by to, you know, tell him what he did wrong. By the way, there's, there's no shortage of people who will tell you what you did wrong. Those aren't really the friends you're looking for. But here's, in the book of Job, here's what Job, Job says. He, Job 19, verses 13 through 19 says this. He's alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and my maidservants count me as a stranger. They look upon me as an alien. You think Job's got some broken relationships here? He goes on and says, I summon my servant, but he does not answer. Though I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my brothers. Even the little boys scorn me when I appear. They ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. Job is sitting in a heap of broken relationships and recognizes that all of its intimate. Now, I laughed when it, that one line, my breath is offensive to my wife. Uh, I don't mean he needed like Listerine, I don't think. Uh, could be, but I don't think that's what he was really getting at. I think he was saying, even the, even the way I breathe 
Even the fact I'm still breathing is offensive to my wife. Many of us are, we've got pain in our relationships. There's the pain of brokenness. And if we're not, here are the two extremes that I'm trying to get, I want to get you to recognize. One is I've been hurt. I'll never get hurt again. I'm never going to, I'm never going to go out there. I'm never going to let people into my life again. The other extreme I want you to recognize is this. For some of you, you're denying that there is any pain. You know, the first step to getting well at times is admitting you're sick. Right? It's not a negative confession. It's just reality. You know, I, I've, I've been around people who kind of like came from word of faith backgrounds. And they, they're like coughing, hacking, runny nose fever, you know, got some, they're bleeding from their arm. And they're like, nope, I'm not, I'm totally well. I don't want to make a negative confession that I'm sick. I'm like, it's not a negative confession. It's just reality. Everybody can see it except you and your pretending. We need to recognize the pain that broken relationships can cause us at times. And I think in, in that, there's a step toward healing that occurs in recognizing the pain that's come. But I, I really don't want to dwell on the pain, but I do want us to at least give some sort of recognition of it. I really want to point us in a path forward. And so I, I want us to not only recognize the pain of broken relationships, but to uh, really to reflect on the problem that sin has caused in relationships. You know, you, it's one thing to see the pain, and it's another thing to say, why the pain? Well, why the pain is because of sin. Sin has corrupted everything. Again, going to Genesis, where Gabe was a couple of weeks ago, man sins, disobeys God. He's been in relationship with God. And then the man and his wife heard the sound, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. One of the things sin has caused in our life is for us to distance ourselves from one another. There's a distance from God and a distance from others that's come into our lives. We've, we've hidden or trying to hide. God, God says, he, he, he talks about this more about the, the brokenness of the relationship in the marriage, the brokenness of the relationship among mankind. He even uses the word enmity. Enmity is not just like the relationship we've, Enmity means we're opposing one another. Now, he's talking about it to the servant, but he says, your offspring. I, I think there's an element talking about the offspring of mankind and sin that he's talking about. Because of sin, there's going to be enmity. Not just brokenness, but an, an active opposition to one another. Uh, do, do we not see this today? All around us? In every single setting, it's, it's not, we can't disagree. We're going to battle to the death. 
over this disagreement. There is an active opposition between peoples. And listen, I I, I want to encourage you today not to see yourself as right and the others as wrong, but to see us all broken as a result of sin. And as a result of sin, we've tried to distance. We've tried to hide from one another. It's caused, sin has caused brokenness in our relationships. Then he said, who told you, this is God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is one of those questions where God already knows the answer. You know, sometimes, sometimes in counseling, um, it's great to know the answer before you ever ask the question because you can kind of lead things along. It's not deceptive. It's really just trying to help somebody admit where they are. The man said, the woman you put here with me. So who's he blaming here? Who's he blaming? Ultimately, he's blaming God. Now, he's blaming Eve, but he's really blaming God. The woman who you put here with me, see, everything was fine. When it was just me, everything was good. But you gave me her, and now look what happens. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the woman said to the, the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Classic relationships 101 right here. When things go wrong, what do you do? You blame, deflect, and defend. You blame, deflect, and defend. Them, not me. Wasn't my fault. A number of years ago, uh, you know, when I started pastoring, I really had done no counseling. My counseling technique was like this, honest, 30 years ago. You've got a problem? What's your problem? Okay, stop it. <laughs> you know, don't do it anymore. I got a problem with X, Y, Z. Well, stop it. You know, I thought that was a pretty effective way of counseling, right? Stop it. Well, uh, as I've gone on through the years, I'm, I'm not much more effective, but a little bit. But one of the things I've learned by uh, reading, studying, and just counseling for 30 years is this. Whenever people come to me, especially couples in relationship, and they're having a difficulty, it's always the other person that's the problem. Always. There's this mentality when couples come in and sit in my presence that they're, they, they're saying to me, fix them. If you fix them, we'll be all right. The problem's not me, it's them. Fix them. And there's this constant blame, deflect, and defend for the problem that's in the room. And can I say this? It's always both people. Sin has corrupted us all. Uh, I, 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 this is just a satellite, but years ago I was sitting with a couple who uh, one of the parties had committed adultery, and one of the hardest things for me to do was to get the one who had not to confess to their own sin in the relationship. And you'd be like, well, that was cruel. 
No, no, no. In counseling, the, one of the starting points, of course, the other party sinned horribly, and it was without excuse. But part of the problem is trying to get both parties to see that sin has corrupted them both. That things that are going on in the home are not just one person's problem, it's their problem. This is to, for everybody to take ownership of everything. And that's where sin has corrupted us, is that in our relationships, rather than saying, my bad, I did this, this is my fault, we want to blame the other person. We want to blame the circumstance. We want to blame the You may say, Pastor, you're just going on and on way too long about this. Move along. I can't tell you how important this is. That if you're going to move on, that you have to take responsibility for the sin of your own life and ask God to do a work in you. So, in relationships, number one, we've all experienced pain in broken relationships. And number two, we need to understand that the problem is that we're all we're all corrupted by sin. And from the garden onward, it's affected every single relationship we've been engaged in. All of them. Well, what is the path forward? Here's where I want to spend the rest of our time. Receive the promise of true intimacy. There's a promise of true intimacy. You see, true intimacy begins not with me, but begins with him. It begins in Christ. If I'm going to try and correct, so to speak, the sin issue, just hang with me theologically. If sin is the problem that's damaged all my relationships, then what is the cure for sin? It's, my, it's Jesus. It's my relationship with him. In other words, it, it doesn't matter how many, I'm not bad-mouthing um, trying to improve your personal ability to communicate with people. I've spent a lifetime doing this as well. How to communicate, how to deal with people, how to, how to expand your circles. But if we never deal with the sin problem, it doesn't matter how good the technique, it's a corrupted technique. Are you with me a little bit? Some of you are like, I, I don't know, what are we doing? What I'm trying to tell you is, you're horrible. And so am I. And the best I can do in relationships on my own is still corrupted and horrible. Now, my corrupted and horrible may not be as bad as your corrupted and horrible, but it's still corrupted and horrible. Do you, do you, get, you understand? That's why if I'm ever going to experience true intimacy, it, it has to begin in Jesus. I, let me just say this. Love is not all you need. Because the problem with your love is it's corrupt and horrible. It's self-centered. It'll blame, deflect, defend. It will hide. It will do all of the things that sin has caused to happen in your life. So whether you're in a marriage relationship or a friendship or you've got a roommate or you're trying to expand your friendships at fullness, understand that true intimacy, unless it begins in Jesus, is going to be a problem. It's going to be human effort, and all our human efforts are just filthy rags before him. A couple of scripture passages. 
going to kind of blitz through these a little bit, but they're really important uh, scripture passages. The one I started with says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the problem with these two commands. You can't do them. Jesus is being asked, hey, what are the greatest commandments? He said, okay, I'll give you the greatest. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you're sitting back, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to love God and I'm going to love my neighbor and you won't get 10 minutes out of here before you'll be unlovely in some way you approach someone or think about someone or maybe in the sermon or the service or something that happened in your life today. So last week when I heard that the, 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 the live stream was horrid, <laughs> there's no better way to say it. I, I, I probably went 10 minutes out of the service when someone said to me, uh, by the way, live stream stunk today. It, we had some major problems. My first thoughts were not lovely. I mean, really, in my head, I'm thinking, really? Really, we, we can't figure this out? I had some other thoughts I won't share with you, but it's all that to say, I won 10 minutes out of preaching when my thoughts were not godly exactly. No, they weren't. They weren't godly. I can't defend them. That to say, in and of myself, I can't do it. That true intimacy begins with Christ. Even if I'm going to love God and love the basic commands, I can't do it apart from The truth that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If I'm going to love God, it has to come through Jesus. I heard Bishop T.D. Jake say this a long time ago um, when he was being asked, actually by Oprah. Uh, Oprah was interviewing him and saying something like, "Um, aren't there many ways to God? Kind of that, you know, let's all get along Bishop T.D. Jakes, I was really, it made me sit up because it was like, okay, what's he going to say? And he said, I think there are many paths to Jesus, but there's only one way to God. Which I thought was, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we're going to experience intimacy with God, it has to come through Jesus. That's why he came. He goes on and says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So last week I spoke about heaven, that if we're going to overcome our fear of the future, we need have a proper perspective of heaven. But really, one of the things is that God, Jesus didn't just come to save you for heaven. He came to, he came to redeem you for intimacy with the Father, which begins now. Not after you die, not when you go to heaven. Heaven is where we're headed, but intimacy with God is why he came. So that we can have this love relationship with God. We can't have it in any other way. First Peter says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. <clears throat> I want to back into this. So, if true intimacy begins in Christ, if we're going to love God and love others, then we have to come through Jesus to love God and to love others. And so here he's saying, look, you need to love one another deeply from the heart, right? Right? 
Okay, if we don't agree on this, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long morning. We need to love one another deeply from the heart. I have to confess, I'm not really that big a people person. You know, kind of being introverted, I need like two or three close friends in my life, and I'm totally content. The rest of the people, I have kind of a loving tolerance for in and of myself. You know what? I know I'm commanded to love people, so I'm not going to hate them kind of thing. Uh, so, but it's more a loving tolerance. He, his command here is this. Love one another deeply from the heart. Back it up. He said, so that you have sincere love for the brothers. Okay, if I'm going to love people deeply from the heart, then it has to be sincere. It has to be true. It can't be faked. It can't be... It can't be made up, right? Sincerity. Well, then back it up another statement. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. What is the truth? Love God, love others. Well, I can't love God, love others apart from Jesus. Here's what I think Peter is saying here. The end game is loving God, loving others, loving one another deeply from the heart. But you can't move there apart from Jesus. You can't be sincere if your heart hasn't been transformed and your heart can't get transformed if you're not in relationship with Jesus. True intimacy begins, begins with him. It begins with our relationship with him. Over the years, we've had it's one of the challenging parts of ministry is that you develop some really close relationships and then people leave. You know, it's <clears throat> a number of years ago, and this is going to lead to this next point if you'll stay with me just one second. A number of years ago, I heard a senior pastor say that he had no close friends in his congregation. And someone said, well, why don't you have any close friends? He said, I purposefully don't make friends with the people I minister to. And I thought, that sounds horrible to not have any close friends. He said, you can't, he said, you can't be friends with the people in your church. Because you can't pastor them and lead them and be friends with them. Because then someone will betray you. Someone will leave you. Someone will break away from you. And it'll, it'll cause your ability to minister in that place to be diminished. I was a young man back then, and I thought that sounded like, why would you do this job then if you can't have any friends? I mean, I, I said I don't need a lot of friends, <laughs> but I need some, right? And this is the people I hang out with all the time, almost, or in this room, in some way. Over the years, we've had different people leave fullness. Some were very, very close friends to me and to my family. And some have left because they moved, or God called them to another place or to another ministry. And I don't want to say that's not painful, but because it still is, but it's not painful like someone getting mad at me who's my friend and saying, you no longer hear from God, you're this or you're that or 
and then splitting. When those times occurred, honestly, it made me think back to that old guy and say, you know what, that dude was right. Just recently, I celebrated a birthday. Um, Kathy and I went to, to, to dinner with three other couples. One couple, and these are all friends, um, one couple goes to our church. The other two couples used to go to our church. One of them moved out of town, so they made it a distance to come to church here. Just logistically, with the age of their kids, not possible. And the other one used to go here and now goes to another church in our city, felt called by God. But we're all still friends. My heart goes to them. I still have lunch with them. I still, in some ways, pastor some of them, even though they don't go here. True intimacy begins in Christ. And, and, and here's where I'm headed with all of this, is intimacy with others involves risk. If you're looking to eliminate the risk factor before you'll be intimate, you'll never have intimate friends. Because all friendships involve risk. All marriages involve risk. Paul says this, it, meaning love, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, here, here's my logic sometimes in reading scripture. It's not always accurate, but Paul wouldn't, he, he's encouraging the Corinthian church about love. And I think he's saying true love, love that comes from Christ that's been influenced by the redemptive work of Jesus, always. Why is he having to say it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres? Is because it, in the world, it doesn't. In the world's model, it doesn't always protect, it doesn't trust, it, it, it's not always hopeful, it doesn't persevere, does it? Intimacy result, r r involves risk. <clears throat> I'll show you a short clip from a movie where a father and son are talking about relationship. What happened with you and Lily? I don't know. I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something, and you embarrass yourself if you don't. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. We've used that line in my family a ton. That it takes 20 seconds of insane courage. In other words, it involves risk, right? Relationships involve risk. All of them. Left to ourselves and to our own sinful nature, we'll just be frozen where we are. But if we'll let it, if we'll, through the power of Christ, step out in faith, 
things can change. Because when there's a true intimacy that comes from Christ, there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You're like saying, wait a minute. Are you promising all my relationships are going to be perfect? No, that's not what the passage is saying. The passage is saying, look, when you walk with Jesus and have true intimacy with him and recognize the risk of the world and relationships around you, then you're not going to be afraid to step out in love. You're not going to be afraid to take that risk. Yes, I may be burned, but you know what? This is the command of God in my life. Love God and love others. Here's a couple of things I want to say about relationships. And this is the parts that can get me in trouble. But if it's bad, just ignore it and move on. If you're here and you're married or divorced or have gone through a painful breakup, I want to say God sees you, God loves you. God is in the healing miracle business. Don't close yourself off to relationships because of the pain of the past. Some of you are involved in marriages now. Some, I, I would say the loneliest people that I've ever met were married and involved in a marriage relationship. Some of the loneliest because of the brokenness and pain in the home. God sees you. Some of you are single and longing to be married. God sees you. He knows your, your call. If you're waiting for the perfect person to come along to get married to them, you're trying to remove all the risk, enjoy being single. Look, I'm as good as it gets, and it was still a risk to marry me. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Risk is always involved. Always. And you're going to find out even the things you didn't think were risky were risky. That's for a later date. If you're waiting to get friends with someone, just friends. You're trying to see if they're worth the risk. Oh, they're worth the risk. Because every person you see in this room is a person Jesus died for. Love one another deeply from the heart. Let it be sincere. Because Christ has redeemed you. Christ has transformed you. He loved you when you were unlovely. Our goal, our call, is then to step out and not let the fear of intimacy keep us from loving God and loving others like we, like we should. Get 20 seconds of insane courage to talk to someone. And don't go into it like, oh, they're going to reject me, they're going to reject me, they're going to reject me. Just step out in friendship. Ask about them. Almost nobody will reject you if you ask about them. 
talk to someone new. Here's an idea. Get in a small group. Get in an E3 group where people can really see you. Call someone. Commit to meeting with someone. Let fullness be a place where people can say, those people, man, they love God and they love each other. They must follow him. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We rejoice in you. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. And Lord, I, I confess my own weakness in relationships. And yet, Lord, I thank you that you've given me some of the greatest friendships a person could ever desire. People who, who love me and support me and have been there for me. Men and women over the years who have seen my flaws and yet seen your work in me to the point of staying friends with me. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that my heart would be open today to love others deeply. That my fear, whatever it might entail, of how I look or the pain of the past or the hurts that have been caused in other circumstances will not keep me from ever loving deeply and let it be sincere, not fake, because you are working in me. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this people in this place, and I speak blessings over them today. I pray for those who are married, and I pray their relationships will be stronger. I pray for those who have experienced the pain of broken relationships I pray, God, for your healing hand to be upon them or uh, experiencing some sort of loss in relationship. Lord, for those who are single here today who are looking to the future, God, may their intimacy begin with you and then move toward others. Open their hearts and minds to, to receive from you. Thank you. May we love you with all, everything that we are. And may we love those around us even more than ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, and before we leave, let's just, let's just sing a, a song of love and worship before the Lord, just to confess our, our love for him.